Okay, well, Michael, thank you so much for joining us in this episode of uh, EdTech Today. I'm really glad you, you took the time. That's my pleasure, Kevin. Uh, let me ask you where, are you, where are you clicking in from today? I'm clicking in from uh, the beautiful North Shore of Long, Long Island, New York. It actually is a beautiful day today. Um, so it's uh, kind of the home office where we've all been situated pretty That's much right. for the last uh, 15 or 16 months. That's right. And so I was, I was going to ask you, so you, you still are in the home office and maybe uh, if you could give us a little uh, overview of Barnes & Noble Education and maybe the state of the company uh, during the pandemic. I hate to keep talking about it, but it's still part of our, uh, our, our experience here. Uh, I always find it amazing that uh, executives such as yourself and, and, and companies have been able to kind of not only survive through this, but thrive in, in certain ways where I can't even get to the supermarket without forgetting my mask. So uh, give, kind of give us a little bit, bit of background on BNED and where you are in the state of play during uh, the pandemic. Okay, I'd be happy to do that, Kevin, thanks. Uh, Barnes & Noble Education, or we refer to it as BNED, that's also our call sign on our, our stock ticker. Uh, it's a separate public company. Uh, we share the Barnes & Noble trademark with Barnes & Noble, which is a retail bookseller, but they were a former parent of ours. We spun out from them about, God, almost uh, five years ago in uh, August of 2015, almost six years ago. And so we're a separate company and what we focus on is providing solutions to the higher education market. The way we're constituted, we have three primary businesses. We have a retail business, which is branded Barnes & Noble College. It's our, it's our flagship core business. And we have two other businesses, uh, MBS, which is a wholesale business and what we call DSS or Digital Student Solutions. So our customers are both the students that we serve, approximately 6 million students that we serve, and uh, about 1,400, a little over 1,400 uh, higher ed institutions. Uh, Barnes & Noble College serves about 800 physical bookstores and websites uh, that we manage for schools. Schools hire us on a contract basis, and uh, we try to bring innovative solutions to them to take them to digital content, to uh, help them put the right tools in so they can actually be empowered to use uh, digital resources, be more efficient, help them compete for students. And uh, we're also working with them to change the way courseware is delivered. The primary objectives that most, most college institutions have revolve around affordability, accessibility, which is how you can get access to a higher education opportunity making that available to as broad a spectrum of our community as possible, and also outcomes or achievement. So we develop solutions to offer to them, and I can talk a little bit about some of those as we get into the context of COVID. Um, in connection with uh, running the bookstores and, and also the websites, our business is really courseware delivery and also the sale of general merchandise, like think sweatshirts, hats, et cetera, uh, game day, athletic attire. Uh, MBS uh, is a company that we, we purchased in 2017 for its virtual business, which was very timely as it related to COVID. MBS is the largest wholesaler of used textbooks in the United States. It also has a very large uh, uh, support function now for our virtual business, which we include in our retail segment. Um, DSS is a really exciting new segment for us. Uh, we started about uh, two and a half years ago Digital Student Solutions, we offer digital study, self-help, suite of services, self-tutoring, 
to directly to students. And it's under the Bartleby uh, brand name. And we also have a, another company under DSS called Student Brands that has about 20 different internet domains that offers uh, writing service help to, uh, to students. So on an overview basis, uh, we're, all those assets work together to provide both students and institutions with solutions to keep them moving forward, primarily towards a digital and in a more cost-effective, better way to deliver a learning experience to students. That's kind of the summary of what we do. Um, to answer your other question, we get into COVID. When COVID hit, really started to impact us in March of uh, last year of 2020, about 16 months ago, which is when it started to impact most businesses. And obviously the initial reaction was, uh, uh, it's unprecedented, how do we deal with this? So we, we focused on the safety of our people, the safety of our customers, and quickly migrated into how do we help our institutional on-campus partners, the schools, really handle this. Um, each school that we serve is very different. You know, it goes everywhere from Harvard to large community college systems to HBCUs. And we have boots on the ground. We have uh, uh, team members that are really part of the community of each school, store managers and their staffs, as well as regional managers that have in some cases been associated with these schools for, for more than 25 years. So they pitch in as part of the community, do whatever needs to be done to innovate solutions uh, to COVID and we shut down the stores as we as as the schools shut down their operations, but we still had people serving the schools, kind of behind the scenes, or coming into the stores when necessary, to provide services to students and help out, uh, you know, delivery of of uh, either courseware or in some cases supplies that were needed. And uh, as I said, our MBS business actually worked three shifts. 24-7 starting in March to deliver uh, textbooks to students who were studying and, and, and taking courses virtually. So for example, in the summer of last year, the 800 retail stores we have, about 315 of them were served through MBS's virtual courseware delivery, where we delivered textbooks directly to students' homes. The prior year, that was only about 14 schools. Wow. So we pivoted very quickly. Uh, we offered free eBooks to students, uh, we tried to pitch in and do whatever we could, that, which is kind of how we're built. We're lined up with the, as a part of the schools, uh, as a, an outsourcing agent in effect, to help them serve the students and the communities that they serve. So that's kind of BNED in a nutshell. Uh, COVID progressed and as you said, it really accelerated change. And uh, I think you'll hear this from many business leaders, many CEOs that COVID had some silver linings that allowed the changes that we already had underway pre-COVID to really accelerate. And you know, some examples uh, of that would be our, our DSS business. It exploded, um, the digital student uh, solutions business and helping students direct, directly anywhere, anytime they were studying really took off uh, last March, April, May, and has continued to grow substantially what we've seen is that, um, Kevin, you've probably seen this in talking with others, is that buying habits and consumer habits have really changed as a result of COVID. And some of those changes are here to stay. So that would be one example, accessing you know, learning tools online and digitally that, that you can do at your convenience whenever you want to. Um, the other thing that's changed is e-commerce. Uh, 
So as, as a response to that, we sell a lot of general merchandise. That's one thing that really impacted us in COVID. Um, I have to be a little careful because we are releasing our year end earnings in about a week. We actually have a, an investor day planned on June 30th. So you can tune into that if you really want to spend two hours really finding out what we do in detail. But um, there will also be a web a webcast of that on our on our investor relations website at bnedd.com for anybody that's interested. But uh, we uh, we actually entered into a partnership with Fanatics and Lids um, last December, which really is just kicking in now uh, to kind of leapfrog our ability to serve that the changing buying habits in e-commerce for uh, for logo and emblematic clothing. It's a, it's a very large part of our business. In a typical year, our Barnes & Noble College business will do about uh, $2 billion in business and uh, say a billion, let's say a billion eight, a BNED is two billion, Barnes & Noble College is about a billion eight, about two thirds of that will be courseware. So the sale of textbooks, digital courseware, et cetera, and about 600, 650 million of that will be the sale of general merchandise. About half of that is emblematic clothing. That is now uh, best of breed with lids from a retail perspective, helping all our store managers uh, pick assortments and uh, use data analytics to really understand our customers. And then uh, using Fanatics as part of that alliance to do the e-commerce uh, marketing and fulfillment for, uh, for, for our stores for logo and emblematic clothing. So we're very excited about that. And uh, that, that's one way we could help out students, giving them better, more fat, better user experience, faster access to a lot more uh, choices. And I think, you know, that's one thing that we, uh, that we talk about a lot is what's changed during COVID is not just because of COVID, it's because of all the social uh, justice movement that took place last year. The student's voice is much louder as a consumer, and that includes parents, I think, as well, in dealing with the schools than it was pre-COVID. You know, the extreme changes that COVID caused, I mean, whenever you have extreme change like that, it raises a lot of questions about, you know, out of necessity and then also out of, uh, of choice. Um, where's the value in education? Where's my ROI? Is my access in, in, on a virtual basis really providing me the same value as it does on a physical basis? So you mentioned the College 2030 report. Those are some questions we asked uh, over 2,000 students, faculty, and administrators when our Barnes & Noble College Insights Group that does research for us uh, conducted that survey at the end of last year. And we could get into that survey if you want to, but happy to talk about anything else you want on, on BNED or COVID and what we went through in, in making that adaptation. Yeah, well, it sounds to me as if you don't anticipate um, those accelerations slowing down or uh, even going away. I mean, thankfully, we've had this incredible um, response uh, from the scientific community in terms of vaccinations to where right. it seems that this fall, I hear people talking about going back to normal, you know, whatever normal is. And in the grand scheme of things, you know, when we were in the depths of it, People were talking about being remote for years. Um, you know that this that this is something that's really going to hang over. Uh, now that it seems that campuses will be receiving students, um, from the sound of it, you you don't think that things are going to go back to whatever normal was before. Well, I think that you know we're we're expecting it to be just to use a rough number, eighty five percent normal. Okay, you know, maybe it's ninety, maybe it's seventy eight. 
It's, it's going to be different at every school and it's going to be different by geographic region, depending upon the success of the vaccine and you know, whether or not there are, are concerns over its spiking, et cetera. Dealing with COVID was a very, very uh, expensive proposition for the schools. They spent a lot of money, those that remained open in particular, doing uh, testing and tracing and you know, segregating students and, and that type of thing. They learned a lot. Um, but I think normal is going to be more like um, large classes, platooning students physically in and out so that on Mondays and Wednesdays, you know, you might have 50% capacity or 80% and then the rest of the students would come in on the other days and in those in those other um, and they'll fill in with virtual continue to fill in with virtual instruction for for large classes. I think a lot of it's going to get back to uh, in person on campus instruction, because the studies show that uh, virtual uh, it, it filled a hole but it was a very, very frustrating experience for mm -hmm. For many, including the faculty, not just uh, not just students, um, access to band you know to bandwidth and uh, uh, the internet broadband spectrum is is still an issue that that does uh, unfortunately create somewhat of a gap socioeconomically with you know uh, uh, different uh, students and their ability to really seamlessly access virtual instruction. So I think you're going to see. Um, you know, uh, a lot of it returned to, to what used to, we used to call normal kind of in, in residence campus experience because schools out of necessity have to do that uh, both economically and also to, you know, have their model work, right? right. It all works together, you know, uh, revenue from, from dormitories, food service, et cetera. It's, it's an important, you know, uh, feature. I think though that you have to give the schools a lot of credit They've, they've developed a lot of uh, protocols, whether it's, you know, you have to be tested before you come back, you have to be vaccine, uh, have vaccines, and that's a very controversial as to whether you can demand that, et cetera. There's been some recent court rulings on that. But they're all taking a different approach, but they're all being very careful still. And I think, I guess I would say, responsible for the students to make sure that health and safety is the number one um, priority. And it has to be because if you let it slip, things start to unravel again and right. no one can afford to have that happen. Right. So one of the big things we keep an eye on are sporting events. What's planned for the fall, right? In terms of are the big stadiums gonna be filled at 100% capacity because that's a real kind of indicator, leading indicator of how a school is thinking about the efficacy of the, the protocols they put in place and their propensity to accept risk, quite frankly, for you know some kind of a uh, a super spreader event or whatever. Sure. And we're hearing, you know, from a lot of the large schools that they plan to be, you know, 100% students in the stadiums and, you know, game day. And, and that's important from our business perspective as well, because of, uh, of the way we, you know, uh, we, we service the, the stadiums uh, for, for game day, uh, clothing sales and that type of thing. Yeah. Um, but no, we're very optimistic about what's coming. But we're also, you know, uh, very careful that we're working with the schools to observe all the protocols that they're putting in place in our stores, as well as respecting what has to be done to make sure we don't, you know, don't go backwards. Sure. So that's it's it's a balancing act, you know, and it's uh, I mean everybody wants it to be over, and uh, it's not quite over yet. You know? Right. Right. 
another interesting aspect from uh, reading the 2030 report, uh, and you kind of uh, made mention of it earlier, uh, is the idea of the changing behaviors uh, and the changing behaviors of students. Now, two of the phrases that stuck out to me were uh, you know, learning flexibility and personalized learning. Now, flexible learning to me is what we would always talk about, like anytime, anywhere learning uh, that you would hear. And then uh, the personalization is another one that has always been kind of in the air. It's been kind of theoretical, but never something that you could point to in, in a concrete way. Uh, some of the data that you have in the report points to the fact that both of those aspects were, were applied during the pandemic, whether anybody liked it or not, right? Uh, and that going forward, um, this will be the key to changing that acceleration of learning. Can you talk a little bit about where you see that learning flexibility and personalized learning uh, changing uh, the way in which the higher ed students learn? Yeah, certainly I'll give you my view on it. And I think the survey did, you know, I would encourage everyone in the survey to look at the survey and its results. I won't repeat all the, the survey results, but there are some interesting, you know, um, interesting things. I think really what it gets down to is whenever a consumer buys a service, right? They want it to be as, con as convenient, they want to have as much choice, they want the, the value to be as good as, as possible. It just, education is no different. I think what, what COVID has pointed out though, is that there's more of a discussion on examining the elements of, is it you know, really user-friendly? And one of the elements that comes out of that is um, consumers do want, you know, especially in this day and age of, of mobile technology, on-demand, um, necessity really for, uh, you know, there's a lot of, not a lot of patience for starting over and coming back if there are mistakes and that type of thing. They want, they want technology that really binds them to the community and schools want that too. Anytime you have technology, you should be using it as a way to create uh, customer stickiness and value. So uh, creating different mobile apps, creating different virtual forms of learning that can accommodate schedules using AI or augmented reality, virtual reality. If you get into the different technologies that are really gonna be taking off and you, you see a lot of this in your edutech work, I'm sure in terms of looking at company and all the money that's chasing edutech and the valuations these days, it's gonna be a while, but I think that's where we'll end up. We'll end up with uh, you know, um, a less rigid you must be in the class at this time with all students and take this, these notes and read this book. There's gonna be more flexibility aimed at making sure that students achieve the objectives they need to get out in the workforce and you know, um, be able to move to the next chapter in their lives. Most students will tell you that the reason they go to college is to prepare themselves for life after college. There's obviously a, a very big element of learning how to grow up and socialize and, and that, that social experience and maturity, but most, uh, most of that investment that students, parents, whoever's paying the tuition put in is for, you know, to get a return on it in the form of, of, of some form of post-college experience, a career, a job, whatever. Now, the other, the other element of what you're talking about is there are a lot of non-traditional learners. If you define a traditional college student is somebody that comes in from high school, 
18 years old, they stay for four or five, six years, you know, uh, half, the, half, the, half the students that go to higher education institutions are non-traditional. Many of the average age is 25 to 26. They have families, they have kids, they have jobs. And, you know, they're pushing uh, this as well because, and they have been pushing this because it's just not uh, realistic for that group of non-traditional learners to be treated the same way uh, as, as, as what you would call it, an incoming freshman. So I think that you see it in community colleges in particular, but you're gonna start seeing that in larger institutions, public and private, especially the public institutions that are trying to attract more students. All, all institutions are competing for students. Mm. And that's one of the things we help them do is figure out where their competitive advantage is. I'll give you some examples. There's a school, Eastern Kentucky University, um, that uh, you know many of their peers losing substantial enrollments. The president of that school, who was a first generation student when his parents came and enrolled him, they were shocked at the cost of the courseware. So we worked with them. We developed a books are free approach where we were able to you know, get substantial discounts by having high volumes. We call it first aid complete. It's one of our core products that's really growing. And it gives students about a 40 to 50% discount on their courseware costs. Now that may not sound like a lot of, of your relative cost, but you know, the average cost for, for courseware for a student for the year is still 12 or $1,300. So many students just can't afford that. And so as a consequence, they won't quote unquote, buy the book or the digital offering, they'll go without. So first day complete guarantees that all students have that courseware on the first day. It's part of tuition or it can be, you know, billed separately. Students can opt out if they think they can get a better deal, uh, that type of thing. But our overall take rate on that with the, the schools that we're doing that program with now is about 90%. Hmm. And we, we tested it with 14 schools in, uh, in uh, 2020 and in 2021, they all re-upped and the testimonials we're getting from the students are great. So it's one of those rare situations where you can get a kind of a quadruple win, you know, for the students, the institution, because the institution more flexibility and more of a competitive advantage. Uh, it's good for us. And uh, it's also good for the content providers, the publishers, because their, their, their self-view rates go up as well. Right. So anyway, those are those are some of the alternatives that are being used to say, how do we combat this this issue around value, cost? And from our perspective, we have different ways we can contribute to it. You see other the blockchain technology is going to be big so that students have more access directly to things like transcripts. And, you know, uh, the SIS the student information system is really going to become more like a, a customer relationship management system. Mm. So technology um, is part of it, but the other part of it is people. Are the schools hiring the right people? The academic leadership is really tantamount to the management of the school. And what you're seeing is that they are being uh, heading to more of a business approach because they have to. They have to hire people who think that way and want to satisfy the customers, the students, and also want to do it in a cost-effective way so that uh, you know, the school can continue its model as well as the students receiving value. And when they compete and make a decision about, am I gonna to go to school A, B, C, um, you know, they, they end up with the, uh, the school that has the best competitive advantage. They have the best offering. 
value proposition, whatever you want to call it. So that's another interesting thing that's accelerated is the discussions we have with schools around their, you know, around their use of technology to drive efficiency, to drive a better student experience and that type of thing. And, and the people they're hiring to, to, to implement all that. Now, I knew the toughest thing uh, about this conversation uh, would be to end it because there's so much to talk about and so many different aspects about it. But we are reaching uh, near the end of our time. And um, the other thing I usually try to end up with is that you know, on a um, have things be on a positive note, especially this past year or so. But you've already touched on a, a number of, of different really positive aspects. I mean, the innovations that sprung out of the past 18 months, it sounds like uh, the focus on uh, inclusion as well as right. equity uh, to expand the higher ed population. Um, any other kind of um, glass half full observations that you have at the top of mind that you see if we continue with best case scenarios and um, you know vaccinations occurring and, and people going back to normal that you could leave our audience with? Yeah, I guess the way, what I would leave you with, Kevin, is that higher ed is extremely important to our country and I think the world. I mean, it, it provides that uh, opportunity to break through the poverty cycle, to break through from you know, a generational um, issue where some families have been held back in terms of achieving, you know, uh, you may call it the American dream or just getting a standard of living that allows them to provide for their families and that type of thing. So we really take that to heart. That's really our purpose is to create, is to create, uh, you know, to serve all who work to elevate their lives through, through education. And I think that another thing COVID has done is have, has focused a discussion on that, not just in the private sector, but also in the public sector. So you're seeing the government, you know, focus a little bit more of its attention and, and funding on, on higher education, which yeah. I think, uh, you know, it, it, all of this, in the, especially the medical breakthroughs, the speed at which the vaccines have been distributed and their efficacy thus far, have us very, very optimistic that, you know, higher education should be available to a broader spectrum of our community, which I think is really important to our country. That can't be an elitist thing. And it's one of the things that concerns me because in community colleges, you'll see that the enrollments are down substantially. And a lot of those enrollments are, are males of color that are, just aren't going back to school yet. So we have to figure that out as a, as a country and a community as to how we lift everybody up. I think, I think the schools are doing, I think the government's starting to help. And I think private, uh, private sector's doing it, companies like ours, and also employers are starting to recognize they need to be more involved in helping to develop the curriculum so that when students graduate, they have a job to go to that really means something, a career path. So I, what I would leave you with is that we're very optimistic that the work we're doing and that the work the schools are doing uh, is very important and that it's come a long way, I think, just in the last 15 months due to that, uh, that collaboration and the focus on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, once again, thank you so much for your, for your insights and also for the work I mean, that, that you and the industry is doing to not only sustain higher education, but uh, take it to another level. So uh, thank you very much. Well, Kevin, thanks for, for having uh, BNED on and uh, we look forward to uh, more of your insight as well, because you've done a great job highlighting uh, the education industry. Great, well, thank you. And hopefully maybe next time we can do it in person. I'd love that, thank you so much. Excellent, and thanks everyone for watching the latest uh, episode of EdTech Today. I hope you click around and find another one soon.